0: You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Let's bring in Chris Sims, Pro Football Talk, co-host with Mike Florio. Uh, How about your saddest song? What's the saddest song in Chris Sims' life?
1: Oh gosh, this is a great conversation. It was actually really funny just to listen to you and, you know, the guys there. Certainly. Uh, I mean, you sounded like you're the teacher in front of the class. Now, Fritzy, tell me what happy song means to you. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> so, so I would go with, uh I would go with sad song. You know, the great Gatsby, right? Lana Del Rey. I mean, this is totally off the top of my head. Like, will you still love me? I want to say it's that song, right? She's kind of talking about will you love me when I get older. That's kind of a sad song. Okay. That I like right. that would be that one. You
0: got a happy I mean, song. When you,
1: say, when you say happy song, I mean, first off, Pharrell and happy does pop to my head right away. It was kind of a happy song. But, like, what about, like, some Bob Marley, like Three Little Birds, you know? Every time I hear that, I always perch up, you know? I like me some Bob Marley, Good Message, Three Little Birds, Perch on My Doorstep. How can you not like that song? Come on. Yeah, but that's (laughs) usually when
0: you're returning from the dispensary, when you're listening to Bob Marley.
1: (laughs) No doubt. And I'm encompassed in a cloud of smoke, and I go, damn, this is a great song.
0: (laughs) All right, if I would have said yesterday at 11 a.m. Eastern, Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson will be in the news. And uh, the Broncos are getting one of the two. You would have said who?
1: I would have said Aaron Rodgers. I would have thought that was the the guy, at least you know, the leader in the clubhouse for that. And I do believe he was. I believe he was Plan A. You know, they can spin it however they want. I mean, it wasn't a coincidence yesterday that Aaron Rodgers goes back to Green Bay, and then a few hours later, or an hour later, they sign Russell Wilson. I don't think that was a coincidence, but yes, that would have been the move I would have expected to have uh, have heard yesterday. I think if you had to, you know, ask me one of the two.
0: If I look at, we love to get grades on these things, but I'm just looking yeah. at the. Let's look at what Denver's doing now, and what Seattle is doing now. Let me start with Seattle. When you you don't trade Hall of Fame quarterbacks who are still considered to be in their prime, they did right. it. Uh, is this a rebuild
1: for Seattle? I, I think a little bit. I do. You know, first off, can I think you have they a realized... little bit
0: of a rebuild? <sighs>
1: Yeah, not really. I mean, not really. They have some pieces in place where you go ahead. Listen, there's DK Metcalf, there's Tyler Lockett, there's Jamal Adams. You know, there's there's uh the the Jordan Brooks, the linebacker, they got they got a few pieces to build around. So I don't look at it as like, oh my gosh, this is a total tear down rebuild. Yeah. But you're right, there's no such thing as a little bit of a rebuild. You look at their team, they they got issues everywhere. Offensive line, nothing special. Running back, there's nothing there. We talked about the receivers, okay. Tight end, there's nothing there. No marquee defensive lineman. Bobby Wagner's gone. I mentioned Jordan Brooks corners. Most of America has no idea who plays corner for Seattle. So I look at from that standpoint and go, it makes sense for them. This is how the Seattle Seahawks started under the John Schneider, Pete Carroll, you know, regime was them building through the draft and some quality value free agents. And I think also Dan, what they got to look at is, you know, a little bit of reading the room where. They're a year away, in my opinion, with Russell Wilson, as we know, who was telling people for the last two years that he wants to go somewhere where it's all about him and be in a different spot, that they lose some leverage if they go into next year and now this comes up, where it's Russell in the last year of his contract and everything that goes around that to where I think they realize they had a strike now while the iron was hot.
0: I look at Denver, and I do think they're on the cusp. I don't right. think they're as close as what people think. Just in my opinion. I got a sure. rookie coach. I'm not thrilled with the offensive line. Um, I know we love to look at that receiving core and say, man, they're good. I, I, Jerry Judy still has to prove to me that he's, he belongs in there with the fellow Alabama wide receivers. Sure. Um, I like the running backs. Defensively, they don't have a pass rusher. Secondary's yep. good. And right. you're playing in the AFC West. Where no doubt. they're what the third third best team in the West? Are they better than the Raiders right
1: now? Because they got Russ. It's it's debatable. I think yes. As a, just as purely on the roster, I would go. I I like the Broncos roster more than the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's an uphill climb. And I think your questions are you know they're real. There's a lot of what we would you know potential with the Broncos. You know Jerry Judy. He certainly looks like he's. A real good receiver. It's unfortunate last year he had that bad high ankle sprain. Cortland Sutton, I do think is a a star at the receiver position, but he was just coming off a torn ACL. We saw Tim Patrick. He's really good. KJ Hamler. He's got three rockets up his butt, you know, but was hurt last year too. So I think there's a lot to look at there and go, oh wow, you said it. The offensive line's not great, but it turned the corner last year to go, oh, it's pretty damn good, and they can open up some holes. Okay. Uh, now, yes, they gotta they gotta round out. I think your point there with the front seven, Bradley Chubb's got to be a force again, and they need another player or two to be a difference maker up there. But they are close, they really are. And in a lot of ways, I look at it almost a blessing in disguise that for Denver and Nathaniel Hackett, that it's Russell Wilson over Aaron Rodgers. I really do. I know Aaron Rodgers may be playing better football right now, but I think you're very, the reality is you're in danger of if you have Aaron Rodgers on the Broncos and two years from now, you might be going, he might be, going. "Ah, I might retire. And now you're back right here with wait, who's going to be our franchise. Wait, So if
0: you were Denver, you're John Elway, you would want Russell Wilson instead of Aaron Rodgers, if both were available.
1: I think for the long-term play, the long-term, if I was really looking at it like, hey, I want to build something here, not just like try to make it happen in the next two or three years. I want to build something where in the next six, eight years, we're like one of the top teams in the AFC. I think Russell Wilson's the guy there. And then now, yes, you bring him in. I know he doesn't know the offense like Rodgers would know. So, yeah, you lose that. But he's got a little base in the West Coast offense, started his career in Seattle with that. But also, I just look at it. We just mentioned all those young receivers. You know, you can kind of mold them together and kind of grow as a football team with a guy that you know is going to be there for a long time, let alone there's some young talent on the defensive side of the ball to where I think you got a nucleus now of really something to jumpstart the future for the Denver Broncos. Where, yeah, Rodgers, we know it could be fickle and you could be all over the place on a year to year basis. Chris Sims, Pro Football Talk Live co host. Uh, How
0: much pressure is on Aaron Rodgers by staying in Green Bay as opposed to if he had
1: gone someplace else? Well, I don't think it changes a whole lot. Uh, I think there would have been more pressure on him if he went somewhere else. And I think that's part of the reason he probably stayed. He probably looked at it and said, wait, this is a pretty good football team we got here, and I'm the king. I mean, he's the king. Uh, There's no doubt about it. That's the way Green Bay runs their organization. They let Brett Favre be the king forever, and then they just said, "Here, here's the throne, Aaron, now you're the king. And I think that was probably that's probably part of the reason he stayed, too, let alone the football aspect. They're probably looking at it going, wait, do I really want to go somewhere, get comfortable with a whole new regime, have the whole locker room get used to me? You know, he seems like he's a little quirky from the outside looking in. I don't think you would disagree that, you know, having things he knows and and the people he knows around him, I think are are very important to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah,
0: I, I kept logic would say, why would you leave? If they're going to pay yeah, you, right? They're they're really, you know, agreeing to act you know, everything you're asking. They acquiesce exactly. to you. They stood up for you with the immunization controversy there. No it, doubt, they had your back. You lose Nathaniel Hackett to Denver, but they bring in Tom Clements, your old quarterbacks coach. They brought back Randall Cobb for you. Feels like they everything Aaron asked for, they gave yeah. him, and right. and then you got that division. Your schedule next year is not that tough. Exactly. AFC right. East, NFC East, and you throw in the NFC North, pencil them in. Thirteen wins. Fourteen
1: wins. Agreed. Agreed. You're right. You know, and now Russell out of the West. I mean, you're right. Yeah, they're they're you're right. They're in the cream of the crop of the NFC. And no doubt Green Bay, you know, played the situation right to your point too, Dan, to where they they made sure the public and everybody knew. Hey, we're doing everything to keep Aaron Rodgers here. They put all the pressure on him to make the decision, you know, rightly so. And they, you know, now they're going to pay him and everything there. But uh, I'm 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 not shocked that Rodgers didn't leave. I was kind of rooting for him to leave just for fun things to talk about, but <laughs> not really surprised that he stayed.
0: I guess the Panthers are willing to deal Christian McCaffrey for a future number one and a, and a player with a low cap number here.
1: Man, I got, I got, That's, a, I don't know about that though. You know, I mean, you're, you're hemming and hawing, right? Just because you're going, wait, you're going to trade for him. Oh, I don't want him. Dollars? No, no, no. I know no, he's expensive
0: yeah. injury prone right. mileage. Right. And it's that position. No, no, I, exactly. I don't. I, I never want a running back. I love Derrick yeah. Henry. Uh, And I, and I love Jonathan Taylor. It's when you get into those second contracts at that position, Zeke Elliott, like, I don't want that.
1: No, of course. Agreed. Agreed. And Derek Henry's his own animal to your point. Whereas, you know, first off, Tennessee put the squeeze on him. They didn't get killed by his contract. He's making what? Five less million a year than, than McCaffrey. And. You know, he's also a guy where wear and tear I don't think matters as much because he's a giant and Greek god of a man. Yeah, but I'm I'm with you with what you're saying with Christian McCaffrey. That 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 is scary to me. I if I'm a team out there, I'm certainly not trading first round pick for a guy that's played what ten games the last two years. You know, after we paid him and is not a naturally big man to begin with yeah. and did have a lot of carries, you know, early in his career and even at Stanford, that would be a little scary for me too.
0: I also wondered, it was strange, once I heard the Aaron Rodgers news, the first person I thought of was Jordan Love because, you know, he's yeah. he's in the on-deck circle. He's not going to get to the plate. And I know. It, and then there are people saying, well, would you trade Jordan Love? Well, if I'm Green Bay at that price, no. No. No, I got a right. backup. Like, why Why am I going to give somebody Jordan Love? And, and I'm not here to be fair to Jordan Love. I'm trying to win. If I got a quarterback, knows the system, maybe he can, you know, work him. We might work him in a little bit more. Right. Maybe there's load right. management with Aaron Rodgers the next four years. I don't
1: know. but Yeah, right. We don't even know how the contract's negotiated with Rodgers, too. It might give him the ability to walk away after another year or two. Oh, no. and, and to your point... <laughs> You know, and, and I can't go point, through this again.
0: I can't. Go I know through this I can't. Again. I'm so sick of talking about it, too. I,
1: I have had my limit. I love Aaron Rodgers as a player, but damn, I'm sick of talking about it. I can't even lie. I really am. Well, how about uh, Tom Brady? Is
0: Tom Brady going to join your boy Kyle Shanahan <laughs> in San Francisco?
1: I'd I'm, I'm say it's 50-50, you know, and I know everybody thinks I know and have inside knowledge. You there, have I know. never had a
0: conversation with your good buddy, Kyle Shanahan, about Tom Brady. Are you going to lie to the my first, face?
1: No, I will never lie to your face. The first time around when it was between, you know, Tampa and New England and San Francisco, yes, I had conversations with my buddy about Tom Brady then. Yes, I did. Now, this time around, no, I have not. I promise you I wouldn't lie to your face. I wouldn't. I, I'm. This is just connecting dots. First off, uh, I know Brady to Miami was being talked about. It was a real thing. Sean Payton possibly package deal there. So I don't think Brady has closed the door completely yet. I do think it's weird that... Um, he was in San Francisco last week and Kyle Shanahan wasn't at the combine. All right. That's just weird. I just, uh, that's weird. I don't know. And now they've hired Brian greasy to be the quarterback's coach. And I know you could say, well, it's for Trey Lance. You could also say it's for Tom Brady. And so uh, again, I am I'm, I'm with you. I'm not closing that door a, a month and a half ago. I said, no, he's done, but there's just too much around it right now. And some of his comments make me believe that, yeah, it's not totally shut yet. You share a tattoo with Kyle Shanahan. You don't even share a tattoo with your wife, do you? I do. I, well, no, I, you know, I do have a tattoo of my wife's initials on here. Okay. I can't have a tattoo of my idiot college friends initials <laughs> on me and not have my family. All right. So they're on there too. Now my wife didn't return the favor. Yeah. Oh, she, re- oh. she, Ooh. she returned the favor, Dan. Let me tell you this. This is what she did. This is my, this is typical, of my wife. All right. For my birthday, she decides to get, my name tattooed on her ring finger and goes to like the most expensive tattoo artist in New York city. And she needs to go up to follow up to retrace it a few times. So it's like, she never does it. So she paid like, you know, like a thousand dollars for the name Christopher to be written on her, on her ring finger for like three or four weeks. And then it started to disappear. That's what I got back. Not, you know, that's not real love. I don't know what that is. Uh,
0: before I let you go, a <laughs> Paulie has a bet. This is the over-under quarterback, first quarterback selected at 13-and-a-half. Paulie has the under. A quarterback will be selected in the
1: first 13 picks. Oh, it's a a good spot there. I mean, that's a good over-under. I'm going to go with the under. I mean, we're saying the under, you mean for before 13? We're saying 11? Yeah. I'm going to go with the under, too. I don't think it'll be much before that. But I think when you get to nine and ten, teams will get antsy and somebody's going to make a move to go get the quarterback then, regardless of kind of how they're viewed or valued as as first-rounders. And you haven't chopped up the quarterbacks yet, have you? Not yet. I'm early stages. I got a little look of all of them. I got a little feel for you know the big the big name guys that we're going to be talking about. Definitely got some thoughts, but haven't done my real deep dive evaluation, which uh, I'd love to share, it, share with you once I once I get there. With are Darren.
0: you a hand elitist? Because you have big hands. Are you? Do you look down upon Kenny Pickett?
1: I I I you know hands are are a thing. There's no doubt. Is it foolproof? 100. percent No, it's not. You know, we're seeing quarterbacks with smaller hands in the NFL be really successful right now. They quarterbacks are more willing to grip the ball differently than they have when and when we grew up or in the 80s or 90s. You know, there's a lot of different variations of how quarterbacks grip the football now as compared to then. I think that does it. And with all the people that I would be concerned with with small hands, the differences with Pickett, which I don't like that he wears, but he does wear a glove which, you know, will help him out, certainly. But will do I question how great of a natural thrower you are if you have to wear a glove to throw spirals and control the ball? Certainly. And that'll be a big thing for me as I continue to evaluate him. Always great to talk
0: to you, bud. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thanks, guys. Be good. Talk to you, Dan. Chris Sims, Pro Football Talk Live co-host, NBC, NFL, and college football analyst. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. All right, we'll get to more phone calls coming up. What's poll question results so far? And then we'll get to Booger McFarland.
1: So far, Dan, uh, who's more
0: likely to get their second ring first? Patrick Mahomes still running away with it with 48% of the vote. But Aaron Rodgers ticking up, uh, Matthew Stafford pulling away, Russell Wilson in last
1: with 13%.
0: All right, let's uh, hit the way back machine. Let me go back 24 hours ago. So we bring in Booger McFarlane, ESPN, NFL, and college football analyst. If I said the likelihood that Russell Wilson was on the move or Aaron Rodgers was on the move, what would you have said, Booger?
2: uh good morning dan good morning probably that it was aaron Rodgers. i I think we all expected aaron Rodgers to be on the move based on the last uh really two years with all the um us not knowing what was going to happen all the hard feelings but it seemed like there was an epiphany up in green bay and everybody um kind of got on the same page so i think that's why it was a shocker that Aaron stayed, and then the blog burst a little while later that Russell was leaving.
0: If I said to Denver, John Elway, you can have Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, who would you take?
2: Uh, that's not even a question. i take the guy that's won four MVPs over the guy that hadn't gotten a single MVP vote. It, to me, it's not even close. But if I look uh, at I the
0: longevity Aaron, that I could have Russell Wilson as opposed to Aaron Rodgers, do I factor in age? in that uh, yeah, that you, answer?
2: You can, you can factor that in, but I think you could ask the Buccaneers if they factor in age when they chose Tom Brady or, or vice versa, Tom Brady chose them. They just took the best quarterback at the time and they got a Super Bowl out of it. And I think they're really, really happy now. It puts them in a position now that Brady has retired, that they're looking for a quarterback, but they can always go into the trophy case and look at that Lombardi in that Super Bowl ring. So Aaron Rodgers is a better quarterback. But what Russell Wilson does, Dan, is when I, as a player, if I'm on that team, when I go to training camp now, I know we got a guy that gives me a a better than a puncher's chance. Like we got hope to know we can compete with Kansas City, the Chargers, the Las Vegas Raiders, in our own division uh, before we even get to the rest of the AFC or the rest of the NFL.
0: If I said this, and it's a snarky poll question, more likely to appear in the Super Bowl next year, Russell Wilson or Tom Brady? (laughs) Uh,
2: More likely to? Well, just based on (laughs) odds, the fact that... the fact that one of my odds is not even currently playing in the NFL, I'm going to have to take Russell Wilson. <laughs> but if Tom Brady were to come back and be on a viable team, let's just say, for instance, since we're in this nice imaginary world, uh, the Buccaneers or the 49ers, yeah, those two teams would vault ahead of the Broncos.
0: Okay. Which move did you not like yesterday? <clears throat>
2: I think sometimes over over my lifetime, Dan, and probably yours, how many times have we seen a, a, a person or a situation just kind of wear its course? We saw it with Andy Reid in Philadelphia. We, we've seen it with uh, Tom Brady in New England. I, I, I thought we had got to a point where Aaron Rodgers in, in Green Bay had kind, of worn its, kind of worn its course, the time to one out, and both sides needed to change because you know that those feelings haven't always been on the same page. Now, I know we're going to say Kumbaya. They're going to give him... Forty-five to fifty million a year, and everybody's going to say everything is great. Mm-hmm. But then, you like me, have probably had hard feelings to a person or for a person, and we say, "Yep, I forgive you," and we move on. But are those feelings really gone? Are they ever really gone, or do we just suppress them based on something that happened, or based on our, our, our decision to, to to just move on? I just wonder if it doesn't go well in Green Bay. Let's say, for instance, and I, I, I do not foresee this because I think they're gonna walk away with that division. I think they're gonna win 13 games. But let's just say, for instance, something happens happens bad and they don't get off to a good start and Brian Gutekunst does something that Aaron doesn't like. You think those feelings are gonna come back up? Let's say he cuts somebody. Let's say he cuts Randall Cobb he cuts somebody that Aaron really likes. You think those hard feelings are gonna come back up? I do, and so I, I just think at some point, there's a time you move on. And I thought the time was now for Green Bay and Aaron to move on.
0: More pressure on Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers this next season?
2: I think it's more pressure on Aaron because Aaron is in a familiar, consistent position. They've won 13 games minimum the last three years. Um, If their special teams would have been better, they probably would have won this year. Oh, by the way, they go out and hire Rich Passaccia, who I think is the best special teams coaching football. So they're taking away every excuse that Aaron has. And Dan, what a travesty it would be for a guy that at the very minimum we say is the most talented quarterback we've ever seen. At the very minimum, you could argue that he, uh, from an individual standpoint, he's one of the more accomplished quarterbacks winning four MVPs. What a travesty that would be if he only wins one Super Bowl. And so I think there's a lot of pressure on Aaron Rodgers to win. We don't know what Russell is going to be. Like, remember when... I think it was the Eagles, or the or, or then known as the Redskins, put that team together and we called them a dream team. And everybody's like, man, they're going to dominate. And they were terrible. So we don't know what Denver is going to be. We don't know what kind of coach Nathaniel Hackett is going to be. Yeah. I know what Green Bay and Aaron are. So there's a ton of pressure on him.
0: Yeah, I look at Denver. I'm not, they're not quite there yet, but Russ does give you a chance to win every game. And you can't, it's been a long time since we've said that about a Denver quarterback there. I'm curious what Seattle's doing. Pete Carroll's going to be 71. I try not to factor in age, but when I look at a rebuild for a team at that age, and they haven't drafted well, um, I don't know what they have there. Bobby Wagner, the heart and soul of that, that football team, he's gone. Now Russ is gone. Drew Locke. I mean, unless they get lucky, they draft somebody or, you know, Deshaun Watson comes to town what, what do you make of Seattle's logic here?
2: Well, Seattle, I think, realized that they were the fourth best team in the NFC West with Russell Wilson. So if we're going to be bad, let's not pay a guy $34 million or whatever he's owed this year and be the fourth best team in our division. The fact that they've, gotten, they've traded Russell, they've gotten rid of Bobby Wagner, they're clearly rebuilding at the very minimum. Now I just wonder why they have a $17.5 million safety uh, in, in Jamal Adams um that contract sticks out with what they're doing so I don't know if they can trade that contract so um they're rebuilding but they can't really all kind of go all in on rebuilding because of that contract. so I think Pete Carroll he, he's a young 70 if there ever was a thing probably like you know you Dan, you're like a young 80. Uh, I mean both you both you guys are kind of in the same boat there uh younger more vibrant than you really are and so I think Pete is probably saying, Hey, if we if we get super lucky, super lucky, we can package our picks and be in on Deshaun Watson. If that legal situation gets resolved, if we get super lucky, if at the very worst, we're going to have a lot of picks. And if we like a quarterback this year or next year, we can draft one and then we will be on a three to five year trajectory to rebuild.
0: Do you remember running the 40 at the combine?
2: uh yes i ran the 40 to combine i was tired as hell but I, I remember my time like the meal i ate this morning
0: okay that time was
2: uh and hopefully i got it right four eight five paulie what do you have for booger
1: yeah booger mcfarland out of lsu at the nfl combine four eight five which one of one of the fastest all time if he were one pound heavier the he weighed in at 299 pounds. If he had weighed in at 300, you would have been in a group with one of the fastest 300-plus pounders of all time in combine history.
2: So here's here's a little backstory to that. Uh, we did a lot of testing. The 40 time was the last thing we do. I was dog tired, et cetera. I ran 485 at 299. At my pro day, which was a month later, where the only thing I did was run. I weighed in at 302, and I ran in... Uh, some waffle bottom track shoes that I had gotten from the track team. So at 302, there was a varying degree of times from 459 to 471 that day. Oh boy.
0: Wow. That's impressive. Uh, and then then well, you-
2: here's the thing, then here's the thing you gotta realize. I wasn't 6'6 like Jordan Davis or 340. So the thing that made my game really attractive to being a first round pick was I was short, thick, and athletic, things that normally don't go together. But if you look at the best defensive tackles, I would argue over the last 25 years, I'm going to name them. Not that I am in the category, because I'm not. But let's take a look at them. John Randall, 6'2", 285. Warren Sapp, 6'2", 285, 290. Aaron Donald, 6'1", 285. You follow me? Like the best guys aren't 6'6", six, 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 The best guys are those short, thick, extremely athletic defensive tackles.
0: I know, but I look at him at 6'6". Six, six. If he can't get to the quarterback, just putting those hands up and how he could disrupt that defensive line in, in a different way than what Aaron Donald does. Aaron Donald uses leverage and he gets to the quarterback. You know, this kid, if he doesn't get there, He's going to put his hands up and it's 6-6. going to make it really difficult for you.
2: I'll agree. Uh, I think where he's drafted is going to determine the expectations that we have for him. Let's look at Cleveland Farrell, who was drafted fourth overall by the Raiders. He's looked at as a bust. Not because he's not a really good player. He's just not a sack guy. And that's where you expect Oh, that's what you expect him to be when you draft him fourth overall. So I think the expectations are going to be relative to where Jordan Davis is drafted. If he's, if he's drafted in the top 10 based on that combine performance, it's going to be a disappointment because he's never going to be a sack guy. To me, he's Sean Rogers. Remember Sean Rogers that played for the Lions? Sean Rogers played 10 years. You know how many sacks he had in his career? 37. So three sacks a year. But Sean Rogers was a good player. He was he was kind of dominant in his own way. Hello, Dinata. Like, this is the type of player I think that Jordan Davis could be. Um, But the one thing that concerns me about Jordan Davis, and I think if you ask any defensive lineman who goes back and watches the tape, the biggest thing that I think that can deter him from being really good is he's got to be able to do it not on play one. Can he do it on play 24? Can he do it? after he's had a meet Friday at home, can he do it on play 39 <laughs> on Sunday? Okay, that'll be the key, Dan, because he's got to be in shape. And it's hard to play four quarters at six six three forty one. It's hard. He's got to get in better shape. Because I can I can show you tape where he literally walks off the ball against Alabama and stands there and doesn't move. Like, you have more movement now in your neck than he had on that play. And that's embarrassing for a guy who turned the combine upside down this weekend.
0: Always great to talk to you, Booger. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it.
2: Anytime, Dan. Always. uh, I see my picture still hasn't gotten over your head, but I'm still efforting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Once again, you know, you got a jersey, you got a picture. We we will put it up here. We just don't want anything from Dan Orlovsky because, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yes. Marcus Spears trying to muscle his way in, get some, uh, get something up here behind me. So just letting you know, you're not the only defensive uh, lineman I'm talking to.
2: I love it. I love it. The jersey's on the way.
0: Thank you, buddy. That's uh, Booger McFarlane, ESPN NFL and college football analyst. A couple of phone calls in here. Carrie in Ohio. Hi, Carrie. What's on your mind today?
2: Hey, Dan. Um, I am a huge fan, and I have a quick question. Okay. It is my 32nd birthday. Anyway, I can get you to sing happy birthday to me in that DJ voice.
0: Oh, Carrie.
2: Uh, I think so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is your husband around?
2: Oh, he's listening at home. His
1: name's Rob.
0: Oh, I don't think he wants to listen to this.
1: Oh, he's, he'll be fine.
0: <laughs> happy birthday to you. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome, Carrie. You're welcome. I was going to give her a gag gift and have Fritzy sing, but uh, I know you were waiting to do that.
2: I'm always on standby for you know, those types of opportunities.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, why don't you explore former Bronco quarterbacks here?
2: Trevor Simeon. Paxton <laughs> Lynch.
0: Yesterday, we talked about Saddest Songs. There was a survey done a poll i i'm always amazed at when somebody goes um, hey we got a study going and uh we're gonna this is the study and you go who would ever think that that somebody in england goes oh, we're gonna do a study what's the saddest song of all time you ever been to england <laughs> yes i have yeah 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 huh? there you go <laughs> but, but, but 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 so all the sad studies are in uh in england there yeah yeah it's like uh, just everything is gray and sort of sludge colored yeah <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app.
1: Mike check. Mike check.
2: Do you want exclusive insight from the biggest names in the sports game? What's good? This is national champion and former pro baller Chris Johnson. And let me tell you a little bit about my new series, KJ Live. KJ Live is the only show featuring me going one on one with the brightest basketball minds on the planet to get the real. And when I say real, I mean that real. I got legendary Hall of Famers, elite coaches, and the top basketball insiders bringing you a unique perspective on all things hoops culture that you will not find anywhere else. To so make your next move your best move and tap in with me on KJ Live, wherever get your podcast from.
0: Finally, another great shooter joining us on the program. Dirk Nowitzki, a member of the uh, NBA 75th anniversary team joining us on the program. When's the last time you uh, went out and shot, Dirk? Hey, Dan. How's it going?
3: Uh... It's been a minute, uh, you know, I've been, been staying busy with other things and, uh, you know, been playing uh, more and more tennis in, in my retirement. So I haven't played that, that much hoops at all.
0: How did you end up at Duke for the Coach K farewell tour?
3: Uh, great question. I have uh, we have a few friends here that uh, that all went to Duke and they're big supporters and they always said, hey, you got to go. Uh, to Duke one time. You got to go to Cameron Indoor and check out the atmosphere. And so it's always kind of like a bucket list thing for me. And and when they basically invited me for for this Coach K's last game, I said, that's a no-brainer. You know, it's a bucket list. So I want to go anyways. And now to get, uh, get to see uh, Coach K's last game. So it was a no-brainer. And uh, it was an unbelievable atmosphere. I mean, an atmosphere that I usually only see in Europe where guys jumping all game long and throwing stuff. And... Um, that was amazing, but just uh, you know, UNC stealing the game at the end was a little bit of a buzzkill. Uh, but I still had a I had a great time.
0: Did you get scholarship offers in Germany?
3: I had, I had a few offers back in the days. I uh, actually visited some colleges. I visited uh, Kentucky at the time. I visited uh, Cal and Stanford. Not sure I would have gotten into Stanford with uh, <laughs> with what uh, I performed in high school. Uh, I think they would
0: have got in, Dirk. They somehow, Kentucky would have got you in, that's for sure.
3: Uh, I would, I would probably <laughs> think I would have gotten into Kentucky. So those, those are the three I looked at, and uh, I decided then to go straight in the NBA. And obviously, that was uh, that was the right decision for me at the time. Who
0: was the first pro you ever faced? First American pro.
3: Um. What, do you mean my first NBA game or?
0: No, when, when you came over, when like international games or when you first got drafted, like the first NBA player you, you faced, was it in your first NBA game?
3: No, actually we had, uh, the Nike did a, a promo tour through through Germany and, and Europe back in the days, so it was called the Hoop Heroes. And they had a team that was stacked. It was, I remember Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley was on it, uh, Jay Kidd, Gary Payton, uh, Vin Baker, tons, tons more. And they played two or three games throughout Europe. And so I got to play the, against them at the time. I was just in the army. I would finished high school and I went to the army for 10 months. So I played, uh, played against them twice in Berlin and in, in Dortmund, I believe. And that was really my first time seeing like, uh, the real stars. And it was a fun up and down game and I had a blast. And that's when after the game, famously, uh, Charles offered me a scholarship to, to Auburn. I said, I'm gonna get you into <laughs> Auburn, uh, even though Auburn hadn't recruited me at the time, but he said he can make it happen, so that was, that was sweet.
0: What was your role in the Army?
3: So I did, uh, back in the days, it was mandatory uh, in, in Germany, so I did uh, two months of basic training, and then uh, I kind of got into uh, like a sports company, which uh, then allowed me to stay home and really start training with Holger at the time, really start training professionally, uh started training twice or three times a day and uh and so that's uh that was that was when I, the the rest of the eight months and then basically once I got out of the army i came uh, i came over uh, I was drafted, and I came over to the maps. Do
0: you ever wish you had gone to college at least for one year in the states?
3: You know what? Uh, people have asked me when I was sitting there and uh, soaking up the, the Duke atmosphere at Cameron Indoors. I mean, uh, one year I think would have been fun, but as you know, my, my style was a little different. I think if I would have gotten to college, I think they would have put me in the weight room first and put me on the block. And, I don't, you know, it's, it was still old school then. It was, the game was different. I was really skinny. And my worry was that they would change my game a little bit and put a little bit more weight on me and put the bag back to the basket. And so uh, going to, to the NBA and going to Don Nelson, of course, it was a, a mismatch master at the time. And he thought the game a lot different. So that worked out perfectly for me. I got to say, you know, he supported me. He let me shoot threes. He let me play my game. And so uh, I, I owe Don a lot. Uh, if, even if I would have gone to the NBA and come to a different situation, things sort of might have uh, changed uh, Changed my outcome. But
0: you look at this and you did change the game. You know, Michael Jordan, we can say, changed the modern game. You could say that Steph Curry has changed the game. But for big men to go outside, you guys were always yelled at to go inside, get on the block. Seven-footers shooting and shooting as well as you did, you changed the game. Did you realize uh, at the time that you, you're, <laughs> you're changing the game or the perception well, of big men?
3: I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, there was a few big men, obviously, that could shoot before me, whether it was Schrempf, who was a, a German legend, or whether it was Kukoc, and some guys that uh, spread the floor. Uh, I think I came in at a time when, when, the, when the league was changing, you know, where the league was putting in the zone defense. Uh, it was getting rid of some of the hand-checking from the 90s, so... Uh, so I think that the game was changing in more of a free-flowing passing game, a uh, pick-and-roll game, away from you know somebody dribbling ten seconds on the ISO on the wings. I think the game changed, and I was I was fortunate that I was I was there at the time when the game was changing, and I was uh, you know now it's it's fun to watch these big guys come in, all skilled, all can bring up the ball, can initiate the offense, can shoot, can post, and uh, I mean, the versatility from the bigs these days is just fun to watch. Well, I wonder
0: the impact that maybe Larry Bird had on you. Here's a six nine guy who was a great shooter winning the three point shooting contest. I don't know who who impacted you growing up where you thought, hey, i it's okay for me to go outside or I can perfect this.
3: So I'm, I was a huge NBA fan, starting in the '90s. I just missed Larry, um, so I was more of a, a Chicago Bulls fan in the '90s. There, of course, then I got to know Larry and did research on the league and and saw obviously he's one of the best ever. Uh, but in the '90s, there when when I grew up, um, there was there was some just just before my time. So I was a big Bulls fan. You know, back in the day in Germany, they only would show one or two games a week, and it was always usually the best team. So. I was a diehard Bulls fan, you know, with, with Ku Coach and uh and, and later on. And so yeah, I saw my game more like that, more facing the basket. I didn't have a big frame. I was super skinny, I weighed maybe 220 pounds max. And um so I was uh yeah, it was it was easier for me to to move and, and face the basket always than uh, than with the back to the basket.
0: What was it like the first time you met Michael Jordan?
3: so you know mj retired with the shot game six in utah i was drafted that summer then we had the lockout and i'm thinking i'm about to play against my hero against my uh idol and uh, then he retired and i'm like oh no i've just missed my hero by a few months um so he didn't come back for the lockout year in in 99 and 98 99 so i didn't get a chance to play against them and then he came back with the Wizards a few years later, and of course he was—he uh, was a little up there in age, but it was still amazing. I mean, I was in awe. He guarded me a couple possessions on the post, and I tried to post him <laughs> up, and I was so excited. I remember just shooting a brutal fadeaway. I don't think I even made it, but I was just so so hyped to play against MJ and be on the same court as as my idol. But. You know, the first, my first, you really arrived in the NBA moment was I think my third or fourth NBA game in the lockout year was against Houston, the Rockets, and at the time in 98, 99, they had Pippen, who I loved from the Bulls. They had Charles Barkley, who I loved, and they had Hakeem Olajuwon, who I watched in the 90s winning back-to-back championships. I'm like, I'm running around on this court, thinking, "What is happening here? This is super surreal." So that was that was my definitely, I have arrived in the NBA moment.
0: Did you ever ask for a jersey from these guys?
3: I did not. I didn't want to be that guy. You know, I was first of all, I was way too shy. Uh, I wouldn't have even known how to address them or talk to them. So I kind of like did my thing, and then I went in the locker room. I, I didn't uh, didn't really have the guts to do it.
0: How much trash did they talk to you?
3: I mean, not 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 that trio, but there was obviously when I first got in the league, I was skinny, I was from Europe, I was shooting jumpers, so you know everybody was kind of like, "Hey, he's he's soft. Let's see what he's made of." And I remember I was I was guarding somebody beside uh, right in front of the opposing bench, and all I can hear from the bench, "Go, at him. He is soft. <laughs> like blow by him." And so, so I mean, I heard all these things. Of course, I hear all these things, and. Yeah, I thought it it motivated me to, to to push through and and get a little stronger and and work on my game and uh you know as you How know How did we Kevin never Garnett did, treat you? Uh he tried to be pretty intimidating uh always uh especially at the beginning of my career when we were getting better with Dallas um we were we were pushing into the playoffs there my first two years we missed the playoffs my third year we finally met the playoffs and then you know, he tried to intimidate me, and you know, sometimes there'd be a timeout. I'd walk out of the timeout. He had already left his timeout early <laughs> to stand there and walk with me, face, nose to nose, almost. And and uh, that that was kg I loved his his passion, his intensity, and he was a little crazy. So we had some great battles over the year. Obviously you know, the the, the the fiercest competitor also bring out the best in, in you and you try to, you know, hold your own. And so we've had some great battles over our careers.
0: You know, Kobe closes out his career with 60. Like, that doesn't happen, Dirk. Like, how do you explain no, that night that Kobe just goes for 60 and says, see ya? Uh,
3: unbelievable. I mean, to me you know I played against you know Shaq and Timmy D and and all the the, the great players to me Kobe was was the greatest in his prime that I, that I faced and I and I always always tell the story when when we played in LA I think it was oh six 6 or 7 he he scored 63 through three quarters and we as a team scored 62 and he outscored <laughs> us by himself. And I mean, there was nothing we could do that night. He shot floaters. He, he was on the break one on four. He was laying us, he was fade away. There was one time we got stuck in the corner and, and, uh, and uh, the shot clock was going down. So he just turned over and shot a three out of the corner with the left <laughs> bottoms and like there was nothing that night. Cause he, His, his, his killer mentality his athleticism and his skill level was just elite. Everything, the whole package was elite. So there was just nothing we could do with him. So uh, to come back to his final game, it didn't surprise me. I've, I've watched this man more than probably anybody else, uh, while I was in my, uh, in the NBA, always try to catch his fourth quarter somewhere in LA. You know, before I go to bed, I'm like, "Oh, Kobe's playing the home game in 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 stables. I got I got to tune in. Something is about to happen." So, I never made it a big secret. I was I was a big admirer and a big fan from afar, and uh, had a huge amount of respect. So, that to to score 60 in the uh, in this final game, I don't think anybody was surprised.
0: And then he scores 81. I, is somebody going to score 100 in a game?
3: I mean, it's it's going to be tough. I mean, if if somebody's going to do it, it's going to be in the nowadays game, you know, not in in the 90s. It was pretty much impossible with the with the physical style. But now the scoring is up uh, and the court is way more open. And so, I mean, if somebody can do it, it'll be now. But I mean, it's, uh, I don't see it. Uh, but, you know, you never say never, you know, the records are always there to to be broken, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But it's actually funny when Kobe had 63 on us, he didn't play the whole fourth quarter because they were up 20, 25. Then a couple of weeks later against Toronto, he had to play the whole game and he got 81 up. I, I for sure think if he would have played on us the whole game, he would have easily scored 80, 85. I mean, that's how he was, he was going nuts. And so that's, that's the type of role he was on in that, in that couple weeks stretch and it was it was unbelievable but can you
0: you're born obviously with certain traits characteristics certain players have michael jordan had that i'm going to kill you kobe had that i'm going to kill you can you can you acquire that like if you look at that and go i need to have more of that in my game can can you put killer instinct assassin into your game
3: Ah, uh, that is that is a tough question. I think you can work on certain stuff. Um, you can work on, for sure, the mental aspect of the game. Uh, I'm not sure all of a sudden you can turn into MJ or Kobe, but I do think the, the mental part is, is huge. It's huge now. Uh, I think uh, we learned so much about, um, about your mental, um, approach to the game. The last 20, 30 years, you know, we, we didn't know much back in the days. We didn't know much about nutrition. When I first got in the nineties, we were eating burgers pregame. We were, you know, we were doing all sorts of stuff and nobody really trained their mind and their brain. And now, now the last 20 years, I think we know so much more and all these athletes now are like vegan and have mental trainers and coaches. And so. I think that's, that's definitely an, era, uh, an area where, where you can work on and improve, but I'm not sure you can turn into, into Michael Jordan. I think that's, that's something he was just born with.
0: But I don't know if, you know, when the Miami Heat and Wade and LeBron sort of mocked you for coughing, if you in your mind, like do you turn something on and use that against them in the NBA Finals?
3: Uh, not really, you know, at the time when I saw the video, we were up three, two and we're going to Miami. And so we're, we're literally one game away from my dream uh, that I've been chasing for I was in the league, I think 12, 11 years already. And I always felt short. So, um, you know, if anything, uh, I, I told the team, I said, let's stick together and let's, uh, let's, let's close this out. And then the funny thing in game six, then maybe I was pressing even too hard. I think i don't know if you remember but at halftime of game six it was one for twelve uh probably one of the worst uh performances uh, of anybody in a half in a finals game and uh, it took me a little bit I, I don't know if i was too hyped i wanted to force things uh maybe with the whole mocking thing you know i tried to force it even more and, and things were just not happening but uh, second half i was I was able to slow down a little bit let the game come to me a little more, and uh, we ended up winning in Game Six. Uh, so that was uh, that was probably one of the worst halves ever played by somebody in the, in the finals.
0: Do you hold any grudges?
3: With not any, at all. With anybody? Uh, no, not at all. I think you know. I think it's normal when you're in the league and you're competing at the highest level every night to to not be friendly with everybody. You know. I think there were some guys that got along a little better. There's some guys that we didn't really talk much, uh, but I think that's part of being a competitor. Uh, but also, you know, once my career is over now, you know, uh, made peace with everybody, and I, I don't have any hard feelings. I, I doubt there's a lot of guys that have hard feelings towards me. Uh, so it's just I try to compete, I try to win, and then you know, you know, now it's over. It's uh, we all had a good time.
0: You want to coach, be a GM.
3: You know, I'm not really sure what the future brings. Honestly, I've been enjoying, um, traveling my children. We have three young kids and enjoying being home and traveling with them a lot. And, um, uh, I do some advising for the MAPS at the moment, um, and to do other things, uh, learn about business side. And, uh, you know, we still have, I have two foundations, one in Germany, one here in in the U S so I stay busy. Um, but, you know, we'll see what the future brings. I'm not a coach. I, I would say that's, uh, that's not my mentality to stand there and motivate guys and hold big speeches. That was never my thing, even while I played. Uh, I was more the guy that led by example. I never wanted to stand in front of the team and, and talk. So I don't think that's in my, my DNA. But, you know, maybe some front office stuff in, in the future. But we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think it's, uh, it's still a little too early for me. I'm enjoying my time with the family for now
0: if i said describe luka Doncic to people who have never seen him play how would you describe him
3: i mean honestly he's uh he's a complete package he's a big guard uh he's he's got everything in his game and offensively that you would hope for i mean he's he can break you down off the dribble he's not the fastest guy he's a big guy six nine big guy but uh you know can can has, has the skills uh, as the, the strength uh, can go by anybody. Once he has you on his butt, on his shoulder, he's so strong. He just can move anybody. And he's got the uh, the big shot mentality. He's got the confidence to take the, uh, over in big moments. So he can post. Uh, he worked on his floater the last couple years. So now he's got the in-between game. Um, I mean, honestly, uh, he is a, 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 as full of a package as a 23-year-old as I've seen. Because uh, usually, you know, so how he reads the game, how he reads the pick and roll situation, how he passed the ball. Usually I think you develop that more as you get more experience. This kid came in at 20, 19, 20 years old, and, and the way he saw the game was, uh, was was something I've never seen in my career. So we're uh, we're so happy he's, uh, he's playing for the Mavs, of course.
0: Were you ever called for an offensive foul when you would do your little step back and put your knee into somebody's groin?
3: Not, not, not when I shot it, but sometimes I got it when I try to create space and somebody was really on me and I really try to put my shoulder down and create that little bit of, you know, separation that I needed. I think, um, especially later in my career when guys knew that was coming, I didn't really, I couldn't really drive. Uh, and I did, so they were really up on my shoulder. And then when I did try to lower it a little bit, I think that's when I got some offensive foul. But once I got the little separation and I was leaning back, I don't think I ever got uh, got that call as an offensive foul.
0: Yeah, but you were you were using your leg as a weapon, Dirk.
3: I mean a little bit, but like I said, <laughs> you first you first create the separation <laughs> with with backing somebody down, and then once you take a step back, you know it's not like I. I bumped and then immediately shot. I did step back from from a little, from one foot to the other, from the right leg to the left, and that is already creating enough separation to raise the, the knee up. So I never really need anybody uh, in the groin or in other areas during that shot. It didn't, that never really happened.
0: <laughs> Has Mark Cuban ever been the best shooter on the team?
3: Uh, never. Uh, he, I think in his, his, his mind, he believes he was, uh, but Honestly, he's, uh, he played a little bit, obviously, uh, as a hobby and he's got a little stroke, but it's it's a super, super slow, slow release. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was, it's just a super fan. When we first, when he bought the team, we used to play one-on-one and shooting games after practice all the time. And that's the kind of relationship we had. And so he's, uh, he's been sort of a mentor and, uh, and, and obviously a good friend of mine for, for a long, long time. So I do I do owe him a lot.
0: Uh, thanks for opening up the scrapbook. We appreciate you uh, telling stories there, Dirk. Thank you very much.
3: Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. Take care.
0: That's uh, Dirk Nowitzki. He uh, won a championship. He's a former MVP, finals MVP as well with the Mavs.